Hello, this is James Spence from Roller Tomasi, and you are listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith. And we are back with a brand new episode. And folks, I am not here alone. I have returning guest and first-time co-host, none other than Stacy Hilt of the Casket Laundry. Stacy, say hello. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, it's wonderful to have you here, Stacy. And folks, it's wonderful to have you back for the show. We've got a real exciting one for you. We have Zach Jordan, guitarist of Bain and frontman of Silent Drive. That conversation is coming up momentarily. We cover it all. We cover the history of Bane. We cover the Unexpected Reunion show. We cover Silent Drive and their brand new record on Equal Vision Records, Fairhaven. We cover it all. And that's coming up momentarily, folks. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. How about you, Stacy? Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. I met Zach years ago, just randomly on a casket tour of the West Coast, and we kind of hooked up over the years from that point on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you know him. You know him from touring. Yeah, yeah. We ran into him randomly in in Southern California, and I can't remember if we hopped on their show or their shows fell through, but we ended up playing some random shows in Southern California, and then they played a show in Lawrence, Kansas, and they ended up staying with Nathan's mom at his mom's house, and she made him pancakes (laughs) the next day before they left. Like we had all these stories about them just crashing in her floor and then eating pancakes at their house before they took off for the next show. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, Bean and Casket Lottery on the same show. That sounds kind of like a dream come true. Yeah, it was pretty cool, man. Uh, they were always like one of my favorite, like kind of traditional punk hardcore bands. Yeah. So I was stoked to to get on with them. Yeah, you know, I I came into hardcore when the crazy metalcore stuff was reigning mm-hmm. supreme as you're familiar with coalesce yeah, yeah. converge dillinger escape plan botch so that's my starting point i didn't mm-hmm. get into a lot of the older stuff but bane has that older sound and i yeah. i guess because i discovered them as i was getting into things i love them i still love them i mean a uh, great band yeah i mean they fit alongside you know early hardcore they go with black flag they also go with like lifetime which is more on the, I guess, the emo adjacent side of hardcore, but it fit along all those bands. Absolutely. And Silent Drive. I'm happy that they're back. New record is killer. It's just great. Yeah, their first record came out in 2004. Yeah. And then it's, it came out in 2022. The Casket Ladder's taken a couple hiatuses, but I don't think we've taken an 18-year hiatus like that. <laughs> well yeah uh, zach talked about some of those hiatuses but folks we're not going to ruin it for you we're going to get to that uh interview momentarily but first my pleas for your support and folks you can support the new scene in the following ways follow us on instagram twitter and tiktok at new scene pod i'm trying to get us over 3700 followers on instagram we've been hanging in the wind for a while so if you're not following us on instagram Give us a follow. You have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Also, make sure you follow our main and clips YouTube channels. Full episodes on the main channel, highlights from our favorite episodes on the clips channel. They're linked to each other. Just search the new scene on YouTube. 
like and subscribe and comment. All of that helps us out a great deal. Don't forget, you can support us directly by purchasing the new scene, Life is Music is Life Long Sleeve Shirt. Now, if somehow you have not seen or heard about this shirt yet, you're missing out. It's probably the best shirt ever created, if I'm being humble, if I'm being (laughs) humble. Head on over to the store at Deathwish Inc. Search the news scene. The shirt will pop right up. Your purchase of that shirt helps directly fund the show. It's the best way to help us out right now, besides the reviews. So uh, thank you. Thank you to everybody who supports us and to everyone who has purchased a shirt. And last but not least, reviews. We need Apple Podcast and Spotify reviews. We are around 75 reviews for both Apple and Spotify. So thank you so much to everybody who has submitted a five-star review. Give us a five-star review. Open up the app. Hit that five-star button if you like the podcast. And if you write a nice review in Apple Podcasts, I'll read it on the air. So thank you. We're so close to 100. Get us to 100. And then I'll take a, like a two-week break from asking for reviews. Doesn't that sound nice, Stacey? <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Yes. <laughs> yes. The listeners of the show need a break. But look, we're close. We're getting closer. Thank you. So, okay. And of course, folks, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. There's plenty happening over at Iodine. Uh, Jonah Matranga and Josh English of Attempt Survivors just did an artist-on-artist interview. If you haven't seen those, check it out. You can find it over at the Iodine Recordings Instagram page. That's at Iodine Recordings. It's great. I mean, your favorite artists interviewing your favorite artists, check it out. Also, uh, speaking of Jonah Matranga, there's a one-line drawing enamel pin available now in the Iodine Recordings store. And yes, it is of R2-D2, so you have to get it. I mean, you just have to. It's it's awesome looking. Go pick that up. Don't forget to pre-order the Darling Fires Distortions. Pre-orders are up. You want it, trust me. I've heard the record. It's awesome. The single Machina is out now. It's great. It's great. All right. So let's move on to some music recommendations. Okay. Now, folks... I'm back on Greet Death. I cannot get enough of this band. I love everything they do. I've been reaching back into the discography. So if you haven't heard it yet, check out the song. You're going to hate what you've done. I heard it the other day. It's everything I love. I love the vocals. I love the guitar work. It sounds like my favorite bands. I was walking, listening to it. And as soon as the song ended, I restarted it and listened to the whole thing again. So yeah, you know it's good if I'm doing that. I mean, come on. Also check out our friends in Chiefland. Now they have a new single out. It's called Pretty Good Run. And they it it, it almost just sounds like a straightforward alternative rock song. You know, I I don't like to use the word emo so much, but it's like, you know, the softer rock with a bit of an edge and I I love it. I love it. I love everything they've done. I love both new singles they've put out. I can't wait to hear more. You can hear my recommendations on the New Scene Spotify 2022 playlist. I'm going to add both of these songs. Go check it out. You can hear my recommendations. You can hear all of our guests. It's a one-stop shop, so go check it out. So, Stacy, what are you into these days? What are you listening to? Lay it on us. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Wood Kid. That's something I discovered through Hideo Kojima's video game Death Stranding. Ooh. Yeah, he has like a really great musical taste, and that whole game has nothing but like great music from uh, churches and low roar 
And when he did the director's cut of the game, he released a, uh, a trailer for it, which had a song called Goliath by Woodkid. And it's kind of electronic, almost like a Bjork with a male singer. And I got super into it. And that's all I've been listening to lately. It's like a 2021 record. But that's all I've been listening to since that trailer dropped. That sounds amazing. You have to text that to me. Do you, Stacy? Do you ever listen to video game music just like throughout the course of your day? Um, mainly like musical artists that are featured in video games. I don't like listen to like the Castlevania soundtrack from the eight bit <laughs> era, like that that like bit that bit tune stuff. I don't listen to that. I, I don't get that nostalgic for it. But yeah, I do listen to like uh, you know inspired by video game style music. Got you. I'll listen. I actually listen to the 8-bit music, not when I'm like walking around outside and stuff. But if I'm sitting mm-hmm. in front of the computer, I'll be like, I really want to hear Crash Man's music from Mega Man 2. So I'll throw it on. Yeah, I think the last time we talked, we talked about um, Splatterhouse and yes. Castlevania games and how great the soundtracks were. And I, I think I turned you on uh, to a couple documentaries where they talk about the bit tune music and stuff that were in there. And yeah, the Splatterhouse documentary was really good. And once I get into Sega emulation, I'm going to play those games because I, they look great. I just have to. You need to get yourself a Shield TV, man. Those things are the best like emulation machines ever. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they're like 200 bucks, and it's NVIDIA Shield. It's made by the, the graphics card company, and they're just fantastic. You can just sideload all kinds of emulators on there, everything from NES to NEC to Dreamcast to PlayStation, pretty much everything. We're going to have to talk more about this. But folks, check back in with me in segment three. We'll talk about the conversation with Zach. We'll talk about how we're doing. We'll find out what's going on with Stacy and the casket lottery. But folks, right now, we are going to speak to Zach Jordan. Enjoy. Here we are. You couldn't believe it. We're still trying after all these years. These feelings are extinct, but we're still folks we're here now with zach jordan zach welcome to the show what's up keith hey it's great to have you here zach you know you have done an incredible amount in music uh you you know all of your work with bane over the years we've got a new silent drive album coming out i'm excited about that and we're gonna get to all that but first zach i want to ask you how are you doing today i'm doing good man um i'm home from I'm home for four days. I just got off tour with Turnstile 
And uh, that ran right from a Code Orange tour. So I'm happy to be home for four days. I went to the beach today. And uh, yeah, now I'm just hanging out at night. Probably going to go to the movies after this. So I'm doing good. That sounds fantastic. What are you going to see? I'm going to go see that new movie, Men, which I don't know if it's going to be good. Some reviews have been eh, but I'm still going to give it a shot. We'll see what happens. You have to try. I like going to the movies, even if the movie isn't great. I saw the the last movie I saw was the newest Batman, and I didn't love it. But it's nice to go to the movies with friends and sit there and eat popcorn. Exactly. You can't beat it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I dug the the new Batman, but... Yeah, I'm stuck on uh, Dark Knight. Yeah. In, in my mind, I'm like, they're never going to be able to top that. And I, I shouldn't compare no, it necessarily, it, but I, I just can't help myself. Yeah, I went on, we went on Code Orange Tour twice, and both times we were like, eh, Dark Knight still kills it. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with you on that. It's a high watermark. But um, <laughs> you got off of a tour with Code Orange and then white, went right on a tour with Turnstile? Yeah, I was home for like 13 hours and then flew out and joined up with Turnstile for their run. So you're witnessing musical history just back to back because Code Orange is massive in the world of heavy music. And I haven't seen anything like Turnstile since, I don't know, at the drive-in. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I've been touring with both bands for, I don't know, four or five years now, as far as being kind of a, a, you know, like a touring crew member with them. Bane had toured with both of them for years. So I've known both bands for probably over, you know, almost 12 years, something like that. Yeah, Code Orange has kind of jumped to that kind of next level in the metal world. We, you know, we did a month with Korn. That was all like arenas. And then they went out and did six weeks as a headlining band and crushed it on that. And the last time I was out with Turnstile was before the pandemic. And so this was going to, you know, this was new for me as far as how big of a jump they've made. And yeah, the first, the first show that, you know, the first day of the tour that I was on, I kind of just like sat there and teared up because I was so proud of them. So it's, uh, it's exciting for both bands. It's awesome to be a part of it for sure. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. How are those turnstile shows? I mean, I imagine a very large mix of people because it seems like everybody likes turnstile, no matter what you're into. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing because you know, to me, they were a hard. I mean, they are a hardcore band, but to me, you know, the last time I toured with them, they were kind of still in that hardcore world, and now they're like you said, literally everybody is there. It's yeah. it's wild. It's from you know like kids with Slipknot hats on and <laughs> moms and like you know soccer moms and then kind of like this MTV crowd, yeah, a, a very very college crowd now. And then they've managed to keep all the hardcore kids too, and it just makes this insane show. But it's awesome, man. It's you know sometimes that those world those worlds can collide, and it doesn't work out well as far as like people being tolerant in the pit and stuff like that. But this is all fun, man. It's just all, it's a, it's a cool thing. That's another reason I'm asking, because when we came up, Zach, you know, I would be very scared for a band like Turnstile to be blowing up back in that day because any type of crossover and there was going to be big trouble. Like if there was a metal band playing with a hardcore band and the metal kids didn't understand how the hardcore kids work, there, there was going to be a fight. And it was going to be bad, but I feel like that's not as much of a thing nowadays. Yeah, it's it's not right now. I'm with you. You know, I I came back. You know, back in the day, I I came up as a metal kid, 
starting in the hardcore world and there were those crossover bands like biohazard or even sick of it all that had a very metal crowd and a very hardcore crowd and yeah i saw some <laughs> i saw some brawls in those days between those two crowds and i didn't know you know i was a metal kid crossing over into the hardcore world and i just didn't you know i stayed out of it for the most part but yeah i didn't know I was kind of scared for a lot of those years. <laughs> <laughs> How did you convert? How did you go from metal to hardcore? So it's it's a kind of a crazy story because in Massachusetts in Worcester, the the city that I grew up in, we would have kind of these crossover thrash slash hardcore nights where thrash bands would play with hardcore bands. And one of the first ones that I can remember anyway. You know, I was already into Biohazard, Sick of It All, bands like that, but those guys were on MTV, you know? So things that were on Headbangers Ball was what was on in my world. You know, then I, then there were some local thrash bands that I would go see, and they actually played with um, Converge, and it was like one of those crossover nights because Converge was like kind of metal enough to fit in that thrash world, but they were very much a hardcore band back then. And this is like the early 90s. So... That kind of led me to going to more Converge shows, and then that led me to like Overcast and just a bunch of different local bands that were kind of more metallic than they were hardcore. And then I ended up, this is a kind of a crazy story, I just told it the other day. Um, I was at a venue in Fitchburg, Massachusetts called Club 490, and uh, Jamie Josta of Hatebreed, who back then was in a band called Josta 14, had a distro set up. And I was a I was still very much a metal kid, kind of had my hair pulled back, had a hat on, trying to fit into this hardcore world. And I just like walked up to him and asked him, you know, hey, I, I'm into this music or I'm getting into it. Is there any band that you think I should check out? And he handed me a judge record. <laughs> and then that was it, man. Like literally went from judge to killing time to burn and then years later you know i was in metal bands at the time and then you know a couple years later aaron from converge was starting bane and ended up asking me if i wanted to play second guitar on it and it was kind of full circle it was very strange yeah look at that and that's amazing that uh jamie josta put you on to judge too I don't think he knows that story i don't think he knows it it's it's uh i've you know bane has toured with hatebreed it's just something that I don't think I've ever brought up to him. And so, yeah, he's semi-responsible for me kind of making the full jump to like, a re- you know, the real hardcore world. I nev- also never knew there was a band called Josta 14. And then I, I like that. Yeah, that's where he got his, that's kind of where his last name came from. He was in a band called Josta 14 and, his, you know, I, he just became Jamie Josta back in the day. So is that not his real last name? Yeah, I don't know if he wants that to be public knowledge, but. <laughs> I see. Uh, well, we'll edit this part. No, out, you, so. you don't have to. I don't think he cares. If you dig deep enough, you'll know for sure. <laughs> oh, so that's how you get hooked up with Bane. There was a lot of incredible music in Boston and all the surrounding areas at the time. The list of bands goes on and on. And I think Bane stands out because it wasn't the more crunchy metallic hardcore. It was more of like an old school melodic thing. How how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, so Aaron Dahlbeck was in Converge and they were, you know, kind of that more metallic hardcore. And he just wanted to have a straight up hardcore band that was just going to be fast. It was going to be youth crew. 
And there were bands like that kind of coming out in the area, like 10 yard fight um, in my eyes, bands like that. And I think he just initially aimed for it to be this kind of part-time band that would maybe play some shows in the area, put out a demo, maybe a seven inch and originally had only recorded the demo as a four piece. So the, the demos recorded as a four piece without me. Uh, There's no second guitar. There is a guitar on it, but you know, he played both guitars. And then I think as the band was getting more active in the scene, maybe after like two or three shows, they thought like, Oh, let's, we better get somebody else to play guitar on these you know, when we're playing these live shows. And so I knew their bass player at the time, Pete Chilton, and he had just kind of said, Hey, I know this kid, Zach, he's, he's, I don't know, he's this hardcore kid that is a little bit more in the metal world, but, um, you know, still goes crazy on stage and, uh, can play guitar like crazy. So I don't know if you want to have him try out Aaron Dalbeck, who I had seen in passing had never really met was like, yeah, let's see how it goes. Uh, I drove out to Andover, which is where they used to practice, had one practice. And then I think was in at that point, <laughs> they kind of always, <laughs> there's like this, this is, you know, this joke that's been around for years that they never like officially asked me to be in the band. They were like, yeah, let's see how it works out. And then like 21 years later, there I still was. <laughs> so, yeah. So you, you might technically not be in the band. Is yeah, what you're exactly. Yeah. Me. Yeah. They can take back all rights on all the songs that I wrote and stuff like that. But, um, <laughs> so was that tryout like stressful? Did you have anything to learn ahead of time? What'd you do? Yeah. So at the time, I think it was just the four song demo that they had. They did have a couple other songs written, but they were primarily playing just on like a six song set list back then. So they had six songs. I went in knowing four of them. I think they probably taught me to at the practice just to see if, you know, if I was, if I could catch on quickly. And, I, you know, to be honest, like, I, I think I feel, I feel like I was a little more cocky back then about my playing than I would even be now. Now, if a band asked me to play, it's been so long since I've had to like try out and impress or kind of make the band, so to say that I, you know, I'd be, a, I would be a wreck. There's, there's bands that I filled in for every now and then. Uh, uh, this band, Stick to Your Guns, I did a bunch of shows with uh, a couple of years ago. And going into that, I was like, yeah, I was, I was a, a nervous wreck because I don't know. My brain, it just doesn't work the same way that it used to. And I feel like as far as learning you know, all these guitar riffs and stuff, it just doesn't stick. Back then, I just went in. I felt like I learned it all pretty quickly. And yeah, it, we, it just went really smoothly. Bane was always like a we were a lucky band as far as any member changes. We always just had like these guys that would come in and kill it. And, uh, you know, even when we had to, when we changed drummers here and there, or, you know, bass players, people would grow up and have kids and then leave. And anybody that replaced anybody kind of just always came in knowing everything. And so it was very, very easy for us to, you know, change from one person to the other, as long as we got along with that person. Right. That seems to be the key is going in knowing a lot of the music. I, I've done two tryouts. One, I didn't learn anything and it went very poorly. And one, I learned some things and ended up joining the band. So there you go. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I kind of always, I, I just, I just practice to the point of feeling like I can almost get on stage if I need to that day. And uh. it was the same with Bane. I mean, I, you know, there may be some things that this is, you know, pre, well, I mean, I guess the internet was around, but it wasn't, people weren't like sending videos back and forth. 
to like learn stuff. Now it's kind of easy. You can just send somebody, you know, the guitar player that's in the band can send you how the song goes. You can just sit there and learn it by watching a video of him playing it. You know, back then I was learning it all from ear and, um, uh, yeah, I just would go in and I think, you know, if they showed me anything, it was just, you know, Hey, you're playing this part a little bit wrong. This is how it goes. We tweak it. And then, yeah, that was it. How does it go from side project to full-time gig? So it was side project for years and years until um, it, Bain was getting a little bit more busy. Converge was getting very, very busy. And it came down to, I think, Aaron Dahlbeck having to make a decision on whether he was going to continue with Converge or continue with Bain. I don't think he had the time for both. And Converge kind of gave him their blessing to be like, hey, you know, Bane is kind of your, like really your band. We know how much you love it. And, you know, we understand if you have to kind of go that route. And so that's kind of the route that he went. And um, at that point, it it just kind of opened up the door for us to do anything that we could. And back then, I mean, we were kids that were excited to just, we, we never thought we were going to get out of Massachusetts, you know? Like we were excited to play, a show in new england never mind play a weekend of shows down to you know virginia or something like that and then we started getting offers to do you know weeks here and then full u.s tours and it was like holy like this is crazy that this is happening and everything that you know would anything that was offered to us was kind of more than we ever thought we'd be offered as far as you know a full u.s then a full europe then we go to japan we go to southeast asia we go to south america and so anytime we ever got to do any of that stuff, we got we just felt very, very grateful. And um, as those things kind of kept piling on, we just became addicted to it and kind of just took almost anything that came our way. So it kept us busy from, I mean, 95 is when we got together and we broke up in 2016. So we, it's funny because when the pandemic hit, that was the longest I'd ever been off the road. And before that, I think, you know, maybe like six months of not being on the road with Bane was, you know, that's about how long I had not been on the road for before the pandemic. So all that time, only six months. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there was a whole year that went by where, you know, we weren't out for at least six months out of that year. You must really love it because Bane is, is done now and you're still out with other bands all the time. It sounds like. Yeah. It's a strange thing. I, sometimes I'm, I, I'll think, my brain is broken because <laughs> it it takes some people hate it some people go on the road and they hate it some people love the united like touring the united states because it's comfortable some and then they hate europe some people never even try to get over to you know japan or southeast asia and i just always wanted to go everywhere and when bane was done 2016 i ultimately thought that i was going to be finished touring i you know i i said to myself well, that was a good run. You know, I'm lucky. I had 21 years of doing it, going all over the world. I cannot complain about that. And um, had prepared myself to kind of just be a full-time adult as far as, you know, I'll get a job and see what happens from here. I I have I had no experience with any of that. I went to college. I got my degree and Bain kind of waited for me to get done with that to go, you know, really full steam ahead. But since I graduated college, I haven't used my degree for one single day. 
Uh, so it, it, I'm grateful for that, but also don't know how to do like real life, you know, like as far as like, I've, I've had it, I've had jobs where I've sat in offices. I don't think I'm bad at it, but you know, definitely always had that break of, you know, of like, Oh, the, you know, the, the tour, there's a tour on the horizon. So that kind of keeps me sane as far as like, I'm not a real adult yet. And so 2016 <laughs> hit Bane broke up and I kind of had a mini breakdown as far as like, oh man, like this is, this is it. We have to, or I have to start real life now, which didn't seem very fun to me, but I don't know. I, I did, I did okay for about a year and a half. And then Code Orange is actually the band that hit me up 2018. And they were like, Hey, would you ever want to hit the road again? And I, I didn't know if it was something that I would want to do, but I was already really good friends with them. I knew that I always had fun touring with them. So yeah, I took that offer and have kind of been on the road since then. The, the, and then the process all happened again when the pandemic hit, I freaked out again. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, like think, you know, like this is what I do for a living. And now I can't, you know, the pandemic's going to throw me off the road, which I thought at the time, like everybody was going to last maybe like two or three months in there. And it, you know, music got kicked out for like two years. So yeah, very unexpected. Very unexpected. Did, uh, what do you do when you tour with bands? Does it depend on the band? Yeah, it, I kind of have my hands in a bunch of different things. So I drive tour buses. Um, there's a there's a company called Bandwagon, which are like kind of smaller tour buses that I have learned how to drive those. So I do those for some bands. I guitar tech for other bands, and then I tour manage for other bands. So it really depends on the band that is asking me to go out. And some some bands I do a bunch of those things at the same time. Yeah, I I always thought it would be the dream to be touring with a band. I did a couple tours with a friend's band and I sold merchandise for them. And then I think I think it was three months, a full US all summer. And I think a couple weeks in, I was just like getting all the merch out of the bag and organizing everything. And I was like, this is just a job. <laughs> this, this is just a job like anything else but but it's more fun because you're young and you're out with your friends and you're at these gigs every night you know yeah. it's better than sitting in an office totally i, I i've been the, the merch guy as well for some of these bands and um yeah it becomes long days and you know you're on your feet a lot and i can see how it can become a job but yeah i guess for me that's where kind of where the broke the brain being broken part is uh it comes in because yeah, it just never really feels like work for me when I'm out there. I'm just all, you know, and I'm out there for, you're out there for 24 hours a day. It's not like you go home and chill in your bed at night. You know, you're, when you're out there, you're out there. And, you know, depending on the band, some are more comfortable than others as far as tours go. And um, some are crazier and more hectic. I'm, de you know, but I'm, I, it's, yeah, I don't, Bane never had this, never had like a, we, we never had it easy as far as like, tour buses or multiple hotel rooms things like that you know we slept on the floor a lot of years in the beginning when we were going from city to city we'd be begging kids to or kids would ask us if we needed a place to stay and we'd say yeah we we'd drive to the kids house grab the sleeping bag and the pillow out of the out of the back of the van and sleep on the floor and that happened for a long time actually happened until we did a tour with hate breed in 2002 um because those shows were bigger and those kids that were kind of willing to put us up weren't weren't heading out to those shows and we were like holy crap we have no place to sleep so it's either sleep in the van or get a hotel room in i think that was maybe the first tour that we ever consistently got 
one hotel room for six people to share. <laughs> so it'd be, you know, two double beds or two queen beds and then two guys on the floor. And I bought a, you know, I got like one of those REI, you know, camping mats that would blow up, you know, like two inches thick or whatever. And um, it was super comfortable for me. So I was this weirdo that then slept on the floor for the rest of the band's career. I slept, literally slept on the floor in a hotel room until 2016. <laughs> really? Yeah. Everybody would ask me like, what, what are you crazy? Like, why don't you take one of the beds or like get another room or whatever? And I'm just like, man, this is, this mat feels the same way every night. I don't have to worry about if the bed's hard or soft or whatever. I can go to sleep. Nobody messes with me. I don't have to worry about the other guy in the bed moving around or tossing and turning. Just get in my, get on my mat, get my sleep bag, go to bed. I would be the same as you. I would have like a little corner and just yeah. have my sleeping bag because I don't want to worry about rolling into the other guy or exactly. if he's going to get mad if I move around too much. I just want my little corner and that's it. Yeah, that's it. And it's really where I was most comfortable. Yeah, it's weird. Obviously, like since then, like every now and then, Bane would go to Europe and we'd be on a tour bus over there because another band that we'd be touring with would be big enough to have a tour bus. And so we'd be on a bus and it was much better than sleeping on the floor in a hotel room. But um, you know, so depending on the band that I'm, you know, the bands that I go out with now, sometimes we're in a big tour bus and it's very comfortable, but I'm also still down to sleep on the floor if I need to. And do you still have to sometimes? I still choose to sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I, I I was hitting the road with Every Time I Die for, a, you know, a bunch of years and they were like, oh, you can have this bed. And I'm like, no, I brought this mat. I'll just sleep on the floor. And they're like, but you can have this bed. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, or you can have the bed by yourself and I can sleep on my mat on the floor, which I'm very, very excited about. And they're like, okay, dude, like who's this crazy guy that we brought out on the road? But in the end, it all, it worked out great. That guy got his own bed and I got my mat. You're like, uh, you're like Tom Hanks at the end of Castaway when he comes home from the <laughs> yes. island. And he's like laying on the floor and flicking the lamp on and off. <laughs> it's exactly what it's like, man. I seriously think that it brought it brings back the good times of being in Bane for me. And um, it's a weird nostalgia thing. Like I'll get, you know, I'll do a tour, or, you know, a week with a week of shows with a band where it's just an you know an actual van, you know, fifteen passenger van and trailer, and I get in it, and I'm like, yes, like this is like I love it. I don't know, it's weird. I love that you love it because uh, yeah, I'm 40 years old now and I don't know that I could do that. I mean, if, if I had my own band and we had the opportunity to do some tours and stuff, I'm sure I could do it and it would be fun. But, you know, sitting here in my apartment with my many toys and bed and everything, it's just, you know, I'm like, well, this is it. Yeah, I I got used to it during the pandemic as far as be, being home, being in the same bed every day, just the comforts of home. And, uh, so for the first tour that I went back out, yeah, it was a little bit of an adjustment again, and, oh, saying to myself, like, like, oh man, like maybe I can just be okay at home. And, you know, is this, is this lifestyle out here? Not for me anymore. And then I just kind of quickly worked my way back in the tour mode. And, uh, were you freaking out during the pandemic? Because it ended up being like two years basically, and close to two years. I mean, you you had never been home for that long. Yeah, I. So for a lot of Bain, I worked at a counseling center in Worcester, and so I they were always amazing to me as far as like, hey, whenever you want to work here, you got a place, just come back, and um, we'd love to have you. You know, any time we can get with you is better than no time. 
And um, so they were always very, very accommodating as far as letting me come back and work whenever I wanted to. And so that's just the route that I took when I when the pandemic hit. And they, they were an essential business, so they never closed down. So they were very happy to have me. The pandemic messed everyone up mentally, you know, so places like counseling centers were really needed to be open. And um, so I had a place to go for sure work-wise. As far as being home, I didn't know that, you know, that as far as my relationship with with the the girl that I go out with, she's like the most amazing person in the world. But at the time, I had been gone for six, seven months a year, you know, the, our whole relationship. So there was always that break. It's real easy to get along with somebody when they're gone half the year, you know, <laughs> yeah. like you're not, ne- you're never in each other's hair or when you are, you're like happy that you're, that they're there. And so the pandemic hit and it was like, oh man, here we go. Like it was for everybody, a lot of relationships. It's like, here we go. Like we're together all the time now. And so, um, this is either going to work or it's not going to work. And it ended up being better than I ever thought it could be. And, and we got along great. So that was really my only worry was like, oh, I hope she doesn't want to kill me after like being home for two months, which I never had been, you know, <laughs> and uh, no, nah, it was great. Our, and, you know, the, our, our biggest decision every day or argument would be like what we bought a humongous movie screen and a projector. And we were like, all right, we're, we're going to we're doing this pandemic. Right. And because uh, theaters all closed down. And so that was our biggest argument every day was what movie to watch or biggest decision, I should say. <laughs> that's a, that's great. If that's the biggest decision yeah. to make, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it was, it was, it was totally fun. So I got very comfortable in the pandemic, but, but I knew when I had been committed to a bunch of tours, you know, that were going to happen when the pandemic hit. And so when the pandemic or when things opened back up, those tours were rescheduled. And so I knew in my head I had to at least make those tours because I'd already committed to them. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of crew people and a lot of people just bounced. They became too comfortable at home and just decided that the road wasn't for them anymore. And uh, I had thought, you know, I, I need to at least, you know, I, I've been committed to these. I need to see that through. And so, you know, I did those tours and then just got comfortable back on the road again. You know, I haven't seen a reaction to a live band quite like the reactions I saw to Bane. You know, people just went off and they absolutely loved every minute of that. How soon did you start seeing that? Bane was the, is the luckiest band that ever lived as far as I'm concerned. Um, because I, so I didn't play in Bane for the first couple of shows. I went to the first show as a fan and it was a, a show opening up for other bands, but the show was still like a huge, a huge show being, you know, back then like 300 kids. And I went to the show to see Bane. I was very excited about it because it was this new band from this guy from Converge. And the singer was in this band called Backbone back in the day. And um, I was a fan of both of those bands. So I I had had the demo for maybe about a month at that point. And I was just so excited to go sing along. But I didn't know how the reaction was going to be. And I show up and there's, I think they were the first band to play. There's already 300 kids there that are also excited. And they started playing and the whole place just erupted. And... I was like, well, this is crazy. Like this is back in the day, bands would come through like Strife or Earth Crisis, uh, Snapcase. Those are the bands that would get these huge reactions. And um, not that Bane was ever at that level in the beginning, but that was like what I thought was the dream. I was like, this is, those guys are like living the dream. Like they go, they're from 
you know, New York or California or whatever, and they can come to Massachusetts and the place goes bananas. And, um, and I was like, I was like, that's where I got to get, man. And, uh, when I went to that first Bane show, it was like that. And I, I was like, I got to get in this band. <laughs> like they need another guitar player. How do I get in this band? And it was truly, I never reached out to anybody about being in the band. Maybe I said to the bass player at one point, cause I was kind of jealous that he was in the band. I was like, if they ever need a guitar player, man, you better put my name in the hat. And, um, and he did, and it, it ended up working out. And so, yeah, I would, I would like to, we grind, we, we grinded really hard for a bunch of years as far as like, us tours went because we once we left our bubble in massachusetts or new england where our shows were kind of always awesome from the very beginning we would then hit chicago detroit uh you know go across country and play for 30 kids you know 40 kids a night but we were just excited to be playing and so the kids that were there the 30 40 kids that were there were excited to see us we were excited to play and we all just went crazy together and we then got to the west coast on that first u.s tour and we had really good shows on the west coast which at the time like you know that that's that was crazy to us we couldn't believe that we could play california and have anybody know us never mind you know a hundred kids know us and um and so we were we were just so excited about that and then we kind of just kept going and going and going and 50 kids would turn into 75. And then, you know, probably around the time that our first like full length came out. So maybe like three or four years after the band really got together was when we could do a full U.S. tour and have it be kind of we would know that things would be good in almost all the major markets anyway. You know, there'd still be some like not even bummer shows. We just knew that like, you know, some shows we're going to have still have only like 100 kids at them. But a lot of the shows would, you know, still have three, 400 kids at them and they'd all be going crazy. And so any any shows that weren't great, we knew that there would be shows that were going to be great in the future. And so just keep kind of cruising along. And, uh, you know, Bane was never a band that drew thousands of kids a night like some hardcore bands can do now you know we just had our our reliable 500 to a thousand kids that would come out you know on a lot of nights and we'd all just hang together and sing our asses off and it was yeah we it's where we were comfortable we never wanted to make the jump or at least we never tried to make the jump equal vision the label that we were on they would always kind of back in the day be like you know 2005 ish was when every band was making videos and um and and they were like you got to make a video got to make a video got to make a video and aaron bedard our singer was just really kind of against it he he thought it was cheesy it's very easy to put out a video and look cheesy in it you know and uh so it just was not our thing we all kind of backed him on that and and you know, sometimes we're we're like, oh, maybe we should have gone that video route. But <laughs> so you know. never made the video? Not nah, well. We made one. The, the probably when we realized it was when the final record "Don't Wait Up" came out. Uh, it, it also came out on a uh, on a label in Europe, and that label was like, "Hey, we'll fly you over to Europe. We'll pay for everything, and all we need you to do is play one show and have these two cameras follow you around. You won't have to like stand in front of a camera." 
like singing to me, like, you know, lip syncing to music or anything like that. Like you just do you play the show. We'll fly you over to Europe. You can have a vacation. We'll pay for everything, but we just want to do this video. Are you cool? And we were like, Oh, a free trip to Europe. Let's do it. <laughs> and we had, we had been over there like 30 times. It's not like we haven't been to Europe, but it was just like another chance to go over to Germany and, you know, play a show over there. And, and so we did it. It was for a song called final backward glance. And the video came out probably before, I think before the record came out and then was instantly like the biggest song off of the record, you know, because it had a video. And that's when we looked at each other and we're like, oh, this is what they were talking about. Like, (laughs) this is what they wanted. Actual promotion for a record. I don't know. I look back, we were probably so hard to deal with for these, you know, with these record labels. But yeah, when you're young and hard headed, you don't, I don't, you make a bigger deal out of certain things. And it's like, you don't see the bigger picture. And I'm not saying it was like the wrong decision not to do the video or, or anything, but I'm just thinking about my own experiences, I would be like, no, this has to be this. But it's like, eh, it didn't really matter that much. Yeah. I mean, we, we just came from an era back in the 90s where like hardcore bands just didn't have videos. They didn't make videos, you know? Yeah. And um, we just we were hard headed when it came to that. Between the note, the 2005 record and Don't Wait Up, that's 2014. That's a long time between records. Yep. Yeah. Now, were you touring that whole time? Was the band together that whole time? Yeah, t- together the whole time. And Bane, being a lucky band, was also because of that luck, kind of very lazy as far as records go. In the beginning of our career, the we put out records pretty regularly because we the the record label was like, you know, hey, hey, like every couple of years, bands put out records you know why have we gone three years without a record and we're like oh crap yeah we better do something but then <laughs> but then the note came out and for a very long time shows were just good for us and for we were never the kind of band that had all these record you know, i mean all these songs you know kind of in the vault for the next record we were never actively writing as a band we were just actively touring as a band so when you're on the road with each other for six months out of the year when we were home, we didn't hang. We weren't like a band that got together and practiced and wanted to write records together. Not because we didn't get along with each other, but it's like, I, dude, I just lived with you for a month all day, every day. Like when I'm home in between, I, I'm happy to see other people besides you. Right. And I think we all kind of felt the same way. So we would only write records when it was kind of necessary to do it. And the note came out in 2005 and things were just good as far as touring goes until about 2012 um, when we went to Europe and it was kind of, we had just definitely seen a decline in our fan base as far as kids coming out to shows. And at that point we had thought we like, didn't even think like, Oh, it's not because we didn't put a record out for seven years. Kids just don't like us anymore. Um, and so at that point we had like, kind of had a talk about, you know, like, do, like, do we need to call it a day or kids just over Bane? We don't want to be this washed up band that doesn't know it. That was always our biggest worry, you know? And then at that time, our friend Stu was playing bass for us. We came back from Europe and he, um, he was like at some point around that time, it might've been before Europe. He was going to have another kid. He had said to us, you know, hey, I need to slow things down or I, you know, I really can't tour that much anymore. He had left the band 
And I think we went to Europe actually with Chris Linkovich, um, who was in, who now plays bass and terror. And then we came back from that. The tour didn't go that great. We all sat down, had a talk. Aaron Dahlbeck, the guitar player at the time, who, who was planning on having a kid, had said, "Yeah, maybe we slow the band down a lot. I don't want to be gone. F- if you know, I'm going to have this this kid. I don't want to be gone from home where I can't watch it grow up and all this stuff, which I completely understood. But there were some disagreements there as far as the band should keep going full time. The band should." you know, only do two or three months out of the year when we can just kind of handpick what we do as opposed to like, just try to stay busy the whole year. And the, nobody won because in the end we all just collided and said, you know what, if, you know, one guy was like, if it can't be this way, then like, screw it. I don't want to do it. And the other, you know, well, if it can't be my way, blah, blah, blah. And then we looked at each other and we were like, all right, let's plan the ending. And so then we wanted to put out one more record. We knew that. And I think originally we were like, let's just put out a seven inch and then we'll call it a day. And we started writing a seven inch, which turned into six songs. And then at that point we were like, we already have six songs. Let's just write 10 more songs. And then that's when don't wait up came out. And, um, we knew a year before that record came out that that was going to be our final record. But then with all the, with the hype of a new record, the hype of it being our final record, kids not knowing if they were going to be able to see us again the shows were then more insane than ever (laughs) so then we looked at each other and we were like fuck what do we just do (laughs) like like this is you know like like it's better than it's ever been now but we've already kind of announced the ending and you were almost out and now you've restoked the flames and it's no turning back at that (laughs) point and you know we can't turn back from it we announced it was our final record. I don't know. What are you going to do? Like, there's nothing cheesier going, oh, well, it's good now again. So we decided to stay together. Yeah. And so we were like, well, let's just go. Ev-. We had already made the agreement. Like, let's we'll go hard for the next two years and we'll go everywhere that we have been or wanted to go one more time. And then that took two more years. And so then 2016, we were done. But yeah, as as far as the, the, the years in between the note and don't wait up, it, it was literally just us being lazy, not wanting to write, <laughs> not wanting to write a full length. And the only reason that we wrote it was because we thought like, well, we should put one more thing out before the band is over. And then because the band was going to be over, we didn't give a shit. This sounds bad, but I don't mean it to sound bad. Like, like we just wrote it for us. We didn't, cause it didn't matter if kids liked it. Like if kids, if it was trashed, like, all right, well, we're done anyway. So who cares? Like rather go out on a high note, but we're going to write this record for us. And then it ended up being like one of our most successful records. So that's excellent. Yeah. That's funny. Like nine years between records, that's like the entire lifespan of bands nowadays. Like they debut (laughs) in 2005, they put out a record, they break up and then like they would reunite in 2014 with the new record. But you guys just did that in the course of normal business. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know why it worked out that way. No, we just felt like nobody was begging for another record. So it's like, why, we don't love like we love it's crazy because we love when we when we're writing songs and we get the rush of like holy shit that's it that's that's a song like like we have just figured out like that's the way the song should go like we get that rush as far as like you know like yes like this part belongs here and this and this and then recording we love recording it's it's weird how our brains work because then when it comes time to 
procrastinate and not write anything, we're very, very good at it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do that too. I'm not the type of person who has songs and songs and songs in the vault. I, I struggle to finish a song. Yeah. It's, I don't, some, like when we were out with, with Hatebreed in 2002, Perseverance came out and Jamie was like, oh, yeah, I got like 50 more songs like <laughs> in the vault. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. That's like, the mo- that's how many songs I'm going to write for the rest of my life. <laughs> like that's what I thought at the time. I was like 50 songs. There's band, there's bands I tour with now that will write 30 songs to get the best 13 for the record, you know? And I'm like, God, th- like these guys are amazing because I, I just can't do it. man. like, I, I, I just can't write songs song after song. It just doesn't work. I, I, you know, maybe Bane for one record would write 15 songs and pick the best 10. But the five that don't make it on the record, like never even really made it to like being full songs anyway. You know, like we would get half halfway through writing and be like, oh, this song sucks. Let's get out of it. Let's get rid of it. That's what I do too. I don't have full songs that are shelved. And it's like when I'm writing, it's like I can feel it. I can feel if it's going to be an actual song or not. So if it's not, it's just, I don't know, it's not. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the last show is in 2016. So you reunited for Brendan Stu McGuire. Now, this was uh, for folks, in case you don't know, this was the bass player for Bane. He passed in 2021, correct? Yep. Yeah, so we played some memorial shows. Yeah, Stu Stu got, we called him Stu. His name was Brendan, but um, everybody called him Stu. He he used to tour with the Dropkick Murphys, and he kind of got nicknamed by he was in a band called reach the sky and they were on tour with the dropkick murphys and there's a long story about why he got named Stu on that but it, that stuck and so everyone called him a Stu from that day forward um Stu got sick pre-pandemic and then the pandemic hit and then he passed away and the show we had the memorial show was not supposed to be a memorial show it was a, it was supposed to be a bucket list show for him it was like Hey, give me, tell me bands that you want to see one more time. Cause at that point we, we knew things didn't look good. And, um, so we were trying to get, you know, do all these things that he wanted to do before he had passed away. And so the bouncing souls were one of the bands that he wanted to see before he had passed. And, uh, so initially it was going to be, you know, so there's a show ended up being bouncing souls, sick of it all H2O. And, um, like those are the three bands that he really wanted to have on this show. And so I had reached out to all of those bands. I didn't know the Bouncing Souls at all. I had we knew Sick of It All. We knew H two O. They were, of course, or I, I didn't. We were ready to be like, just tell us what you need to play. It doesn't matter. We'll cover it. And they were like, Are you crazy? Like we're there. All the bands were like that, including the Bouncing Souls. And um, and then this band, our friends' band, Rebuilder, was going to play. Uh, who is, they were all very good friends with Stu as well. And this was just like this dream show that Stu had put together and he had called me and he had said, Hey, I, I want Bane to play. And I was like, Oh man, like I, I hadn't not, I had not been like, I, I had not felt like playing with Bane up to that point. Like I, I didn't, you know, I, I missed kind of being on the road with my friends, but I hadn't at that point, I hadn't really missed playing with Bane at all. Um, and he was, you know, so I was like, I was like, what, what, why? Like, is this because I'm part of the show, like setting up the show? Are you just asking? Cause you feel like you have to do that to be polite. And he was like, no, I want to try to play, play songs with you that night. 
He's like, Bane was like one of the best times of my life. I would love to be up on that stage with you guys one more time. And so, you know, we had said to ourselves, we're never going to play any shows ever again, but what do you do? You know, when, when a friend asks you, you do it. Um, and then unfortunately he had passed away, like, you know, just a little over a week before the show happened. And so we, me and the guys in Bain kind of had just a quick meeting that was like, well, at this point we weren't announced to play the show and we never got announced actually. Uh, you know, we had, we had talked and I said, well, do we even do it? Nobody knows we're playing. It was only for him. And then his wife was like, what are you crazy? Like, this is his dream show. Like he <laughs> wanted you guys to play, like you have to play it. And we were like, okay, let's do it. So it wasn't really a reunion. We never wanted to announce it because we didn't want it to overshadow what the event was. You know, we didn't want it to become a Bane reunion. We didn't want it to be because the bouncing souls, it was at, it was at this club in Boston called the house of blues as, as if you haven't heard about the house of blues, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but a big club, you know, holds yeah. a couple thousand kids. It's the bouncing soul sick of it all H2O and it was going to be sold out anyway. So we, we didn't want it to be like, Oh, this it's, it's a, it's a pain reunion, like and kids just trying to like fly over here to see it or something like that. So we never announced it. We never told our friends. We told our, like I had told my parents like, Hey, we're going to play. So if you want to see us play one more time, like this is your chance. But as far as friends knew, we had friends backstage that were just there because they were friends with Stu and um, we walked out with our guitars, like ready to jump on that stage. And they were like, uh, what the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> like, what what are you doing? And I was like, here we go, baby. And oh my God. You know, like, it, like, so it was exciting, but it was very emotional. We got together one time before the show to practice, um, you know, and that was the only time we practiced in five years. And we got done with the first song of that practice and we all just started crying. Yeah, I I can't imagine. I mean, just just hearing you, Zach, tell me the story now, and you know, it's just so sad that Stu passed before he got to see the show. And I'm I don't even know you guys personally, and I just feel it so much. So I can't imagine what you guys were going through. Yeah, it was it was hard. It was hard in the sense that we hadn't played in that long together, so it was emotional there, you know, in that aspect. But then as the show, as far as the show goes, like I, we, we just, we got into a circle right before we played that day and we just hugged and we said, this is it. We got to go up there like this is the last time we're ever going to do this again. And we fucking do this for Stu, man. And I don't want, I, you know, I said to everybody, I don't want us to be up there a bumbling mess, crying and blah, blah, blah. Like we will cry when we get off the stage. Let's just go up there and fucking kill it. And we just went up there and did our thing. And it wasn't a Bane show. So the whole place didn't go wild. But the 300 kids that knew us that were there that had no idea this was going to happen made it seem like there were 2,000 kids going crazy. That's great. And so, yeah, it was very emotional. It had to happen. I don't know. But of course, then it sparks like the offers coming in to play shows and like, oh, Bane's back together or, you know, and we just haven't entertained a single thing since then. So, yeah. And I mean, it's great that you had this thing together. So it's like, it's like a way to work through the passing of your friend together and, and release that energy and be with a, a community that supports you. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, if we did any shows after that, 
it just sort of cheapened the whole thing for us, you know? I mean, I think that's the best way to go out in, in the most spectacular fashion possible. Yeah. So let's talk about Silent Drive. Now, first album in 17 years, Fairhaven, <laughs> coming out June 10th on Equal Vision Records, yes? You got it. There's that laziness kicking in, <laughs> 17 years. Does that carry over to Silent Drive as well? Is that what's going on? Um, Not really. I'm, Silent Drive got together in 2004, and, and this band actually got together because we were in a band called, we were all in a band called In Cartridge Funeral before that. With uh, with our friend Steve Neal, and in in 2002, he actually got into a car accident and passed away. And um, we kind of started Silent Drive out of it was a kind of a, a dedication to him. So a lot of the songs on that first record that came out in 2004 were dedicated to his memory and stuff like that. And then that was Silent Drive was going at the same time as Bane. So Bane was going crazy. Silent Drive was trying to, you know, tour as much as we could. And we never just felt like we fit in anywhere. The band never, we had kids that, that loved the band, but it, it wasn't enough kids where we could successfully do any kind of full U S tour. We had done a couple of full U S tours and, you know, I'm sure promoters lost or we lost money. Promoters probably lost money. And um, it just never really took off the way that we thought it would take off. And uh, then life just kind of got in the way as far as members getting busy around 2009. So we, we never officially hung it up or had played a last show. We just kind of just stepped away from it in 2009. I feel like post-hardcore bands have it really tough because I've talked to some of my favorite bands in the post-hardcore realm and, you know, it, it just seemed like they had a hard time fitting in. It's like if you didn't sound like Newfound Glory or Bane or Converge, like, you know, any of those major sounds that were going around it was it was pretty hard to make it it sounds like yeah it was because we kids because because we were two of us were in bane that are in silent drive me and pete the bass player and um you know so kids thought we belonged in the hardcore world but then we'd play and we you know kids were like oh this is nothing like bane but then we were like maybe a little too heavy to fit in that newfound glory world and that was a world that we weren't very familiar with. We knew a lot of kids from that world because they went, they came from, you know, like Chad Newfound Glory was in this band called Shy Halud and, um, you know, which is a very hardcore band. And, you know, so we knew some kids in that world, but not enough connection wise to ever get on those tours. And if we had, they probably would have looked at us the same way as the hardcore kids looked at us, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, this is like, not this is not pop punk enough or whatever. And, um, so yeah, we just we never got the offers. We never made it into any kind of successful touring band world. And so, you know, five years of eating shit, you kind of just reevaluate and or you just you just don't have the drive anymore, you know, no pun intended, but you, you just don't have <laughs> you don't have that the push to keep going if nobody cares, you know? Right. Right. So, uh, we loved it. We loved the music. We loved the one record that we put out at the time, but we, we, you know, we thought we, we thought we gave it what we should have and really just agreed to, we never even agreed on anything. We just literally stopped practicing <laughs> and, um, went our separate ways. Yeah. I've, I've been in bands like that where we technically never broke up. It was just like, 
when are we going to practice again? Oh, I'll get back to you. And that was back in 2008. So, you know, it just hasn't happened yet. Right. And for us, it was like, I mean, we're writing towards, like we're writing a new record towards something that has not been successful at all. And so what's, you know, where, where's the point? Like we, you, you can't get any motivation from that really. And um, so yeah, I think at that time we just kind of bailed in 2009. Um, we played one show in 2016 just because we were like, oh, it'd be fun to play a show in 2016. And we did that. It sold out. It was great. And we at the time we were like, oh, we're going to finish a second record and we'll play more shows. And then we did the same thing. We just kind of <laughs> stopped talking about it and, and never came out. You know, we never did a single thing again. Well, now it's six years later and we have the record. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Record is done. And, you know, that is mainly because pandemic. It was like, we have no excuse now. If we can't, if we wanted to put out a second record, all we have is time now. <laughs> we literally only have time. And, and we just did it. And that was it. It's, um, yeah, it's a full length. It comes out in a couple weeks, which is crazy because, you know, we started writing it in the beginning of the pandemic and never, we were having time or we were having a, we were having a hard time meeting like the deadline for the recording. Like we were like, we just have to book the recording and that's the only way that we're ever going to finish writing the record is if we just actually have a hard deadline. And that was September of this year. And, um, or I'm sorry, September of last year. And then that got pushed off actually until the end of last year, just because we weren't, we still weren't ready. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, then we, we did it. We got, you know, we got 11 solid songs that I'm very, very proud of. And I, I think it blows the first record out of the water. I feel like we're a band that kind of knows our place a little bit more as far as like what we want to sound like. We're still a band that doesn't really, you know, we, we aren't a band that's going to try to go out there and make this a full-time thing. If it happens, cool. If it doesn't, you know, then whatever. But we, you know, because of that, we didn't have the mentality of like, okay, we need to try to make this song sound radio friendly. We need to try to make this song sound whatever. And so because of that, the record is still kind of all over the place as far as like, you know, what genre we might be, <laughs> but it, it, it's just the kind of, it's just kind of the way we write. Like our, our guitar player is a very metal kind of writing. Like he's just a, a metal kid. And, um, you know, he comes from that, he comes from a very metal background as far as, you know, Megadeth Slayer, all that kind of stuff, but then loves bands like Faith No More and, and, and also was in some hardcore bands. So he, for this record, for Love is Worth It, which came out in 2004, I, I had a lot to do with the writing as far as, um, you know, music goes. For this record, we basically, I, I, he would be like, hey, what do you think of this song? And if it was something that I was into, I was like, yes, let's move forward with this, like with this idea. And that didn't really, what am I trying to say? It It didn't have to be a certain sound. So he would he would come at me with a metal song and I'd be like, dude, let's do it. I'll try to make the vocals be what bridges the gaps on this record. You know what I'm saying? So vocally, it'll kind of all sound similar across the board, but musically let's go wild, you know? So, um, yeah, there's songs on this that are very metal. There's songs on this that are, you know, kind of more incubus sounding. There's songs on this that are, there's a song on this that's like Simon and Garfunkel sounding. <laughs> and we just, you know, when you have nothing to lose 
or nothing, I guess you think you have nothing to gain. Like you just go with whatever you want to put out, which is very nice. It's, it's freeing to like not have an audience to impress because you don't really have an audience in the first place. I like the sound of that. I, I, I like the sound of being able to do everything in one band right? Because then I don't have to divide it up on, under multiple bands. So it's like, oh, it's almost like I can be in a metal band and a classic rock band and a post-hardcore band all in one shot. Exactly. And he loves all kinds of music. So he would just bring me all kinds of music and whatever we thought sounded good, no matter no matter what genre it was, we were like, if, if it comes out awesome, let's just put it on the record. Like, who cares? So yeah, some kids are going to be like, oh, like this doesn't sound like this record's all over the place. But for us, I think we're just an all over the place kind of band. I think that's what we realized this this time around. Is like we're just going to write what we like to write, and you know what comes out comes out, and we're very proud of it. I literally don't care. I mean, obviously, I want kids to like it. I would love it if the record blew up and became some kind of turnstile record. But <laughs> um, you know, ultimately, I love the record. I'm very proud of it. I think it sounds amazing, and um, we worked our asses off on it. So. There'll be kids that appreciate that and feel the same way. And then there's going to be some kids that will complain about how I sound too much like this person or like how there was a comment on, I think one of the videos that we put out, because this is a band that is actually, we just, we shot two videos, which is the most foreign thing in the world to me to sit in front of a camera while, you know, your song is playing in the back and you're trying to make it look like you're really playing it. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> odd thing, but, um, we did two videos for it, the record. And, um, They've gotten amazing responses, but then there's been those comments that are like, this band's awesome if the singer wasn't in it. Or Aww. like if, if this guy, or you know, whatever. But it, it's 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 so far from like I just don't care. It's crazy. Years ago, I would have 2004 when when that record came out, I would have probably been like, we gotta change the way I sing, like this and that. But I'm too old to give a shit about this. Yeah, at this age, you just do things the way you want to do them, and you do them well, and you put it out there, and that's it. I don't worry about the public perception per se. I mean, for some things, yes, but I, you know, I'm not thinking about in terms of that. And it's like, and like you're talking about, I'm not worried about some random person on the internet critiquing something I'm doing. Like, all right, if Turnstile like went public on the internet and said, Hey, you suck. Then, then it, it would hurt because they're actually creating something. But if it's, if it's just some guy, anonymous person who I don't even know, it's like, well, okay, you can have that opinion, but what are you doing? I mean, I'm, I'm making something, I'm, I'm putting something out there. Exactly. I almost want to comment and be like, all right, listen, man, here's the thing. I'm going to send you all the instrumental versions of these songs. And if you can come out with something better than, than what I did, then dude, we'll put that out. Like, let's do that. <laughs> do that, and and they guarantee you, like he he either wouldn't answer or like, and if he did come up with something better, then cool, go that route. Like he's the singer sick. now. There yeah. you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's if my friends don't like it, if bands that I respect don't like it, those are the ones that hurt. But yeah, these kids on the internet, like you know. But like I said, it's it's one out of every two thousand comments out. There. Yeah, and they're entitled to their opinion. Let them have absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's fine. I've complained about my bad experience. I used to be one of those little shits on the internet because I wasn't involved in anything. And I think like subconsciously I was upset about it. So I was very, I was very vocal in my critiques of everything. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm just glad I don't do that anymore. Yeah, totally. I hear you. And folks, there's two singles out there right now from Fairhaven, Dearly Beloved and Prescription for Death. 
definitely check them out. I was listening to it today. I absolutely love it. And you know, it's funny, you mentioned the video. I was watching the video for Dearly Beloved and you know, you guys are going off and it's awesome and everybody's into it. And I actually had the thought while watching the video, like, it must be so weird to film these because everybody's going ham and I know they're not actually playing. Like they probably just have the song playing in the background. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bizarre thing because I've never done it before. And, you know, you've got like these kind of PA speakers in front of you and and they, you know, they're like, Oh, we can turn it up as loud as you want, but it's still not playing the song, you know? <laughs> I'm still not singing the song, which is crazy. And uh and it takes hours and I'm old, man. Like I like you gotta look, you gotta play like you're going crazy every time that camera's on. And I think we did a good job. I'm I'm proud that, you know, like we got through it. But man, after we shot both videos in the same day and we just tra- we just changed we shot it in a building that, you know, had two different settings and you know, you just change clothes in between. But man, after that first video that day was done, I was like, who the fuck? decided to do two videos in one day because i feel like i'm gonna die right now yeah but that's um, a lot yeah but it it was super fun i'm definitely more comfortable with it now than i was when that when they hit you know hit that play button on that first take man i was like oh god this is a a nightmare i get it i i made a music video for my last band and you can't see my face throughout the whole video basically i was just too self-conscious that's that's just how i am that would be like my dream, actually. <laughs> yeah. Was it weird to be together and playing and writing again after all this time? You know, I'm thinking about like if my first band in 2004, if we got together today and wrote another record, like that would be nuts. Yeah, it's our guitar player, Nick, he's he's just kind of a writing machine. So he he's the guy that has hundreds of songs written with, you know, like, like and, and I... It, it was the part of the pandemic where people were kind of becoming comfortable with getting together with one another again. And he has kids, so he was a little more cautious about it. And um, once he was comfortable, I went over to his house and we just sat at that computer and listened through a hundred songs, probably. Wow. And I was, and we would just mark off which ones I, you know, that we were both into, you know, that that I thought we should revisit. And then we, you know, we, we just whittled it down to here's the, here's the core ones that I feel like we should work on idea wise. And, um, you know, none of the songs were complete songs. They're all just kind of parts. And that's the way we have kind of always written with Bane or silent drive. We, we would come into the, into the rehearsal space with parts of songs, never really full songs, you know? So in, I always loved it that way because everybody could kind of put their input in. So everybody felt like this song is ours as opposed to, oh, Zach wrote this song or Nick wrote this song. So this was the same. We just, we sat down with these songs that were kind of parts that I thought or that we thought were great. And then we would just kind of add on to those. And before we knew it, we were practicing as a full band and just working out the songs that way. And it's, it's always, for me, it's always better to have four opinions than just one, you know? Um, none of us are to the, you know, none of us are cocky enough to be like, no, like this is the way it needs to be. Like, this is the way it was written. We might have strong opinions about the next part or like this part has to stay or go, but we, we generally, 
you know, we respect each other's opinions and we've been in a band long enough together where our brains are on the same wavelength to the point where usually when the, you know, a part in the song clicks, we know it. Right. And so, uh, it wasn't that weird to get back together. It was weird to get back together because we're in the middle of a pandemic and nobody had been together, you know? Yeah. It was like, all right, we have to all trust each other. I think the first practice we like wore masks, um, in the, you know, in the room together. And I don't know. I guess I must've taken mine off to sing parts, but I'm usually always actively singing parts, even as the songs are being written to kind of feel out, like just to fill out lyrics or vocals or whatever, you know, vocal ideas. But yeah, it, it felt pretty good again. We were psyched to do it, but you know, like, like I said, we're, we're still a band that Nick is a, Nick would write a record every year if he could. <laughs> I, I just don't have it in me. <laughs> me either. It's, I'm not that prolific. I'm just not. And I need help from other people. I, yeah. I'm just not vocally that practiced as far as, you know, Aaron Bedard, singer of Bane, amazing writer. I feel like he could write, if you gave him 50 songs, he'd write lyrics to 50 songs. You give me, you give me 11 songs. It takes me months to figure out lyrics that I'm happy with to these 11, 11 songs, you know? And I'm very self-conscious about like, will my, it's really, will my band like the lyrics? I don't, you know, as kids, I, you know, I'm happy if they like them, but it's, I'm very self-conscious about if my band likes them to the point where some of the lyrics on the record, they didn't even know until we recorded them in the studio. And it's like, oh, it's too late now anyway. Like, <laughs> you know, like, hope you like it. And then, um, does the band, like, do they want, do they care about the lyrics? Do they ask about them? The The last band I did was the first time I ever sang and wrote lyrics. And I was like, oh, everyone's going to want to know what it's about. And they're going to, like, ask me about it. And no one cared. No one asked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they they ask. They ask as far as Bane always had something to say in the lyrics. Yeah. Um, Something kids could relate to as far as, you know, like unity and all that kind of stuff silent drive is a lot of i write lyrics when i'm unhappy like that's that's when i that and i know a lot of singers do that but uh, you know like i feel like i can write the most when i'm going through something you know depressing or something big happens in my life and uh when so when in september when Stu got sick when we found out that he had cancer that's actually when the first song for this record that's when that's when things got kicked off for this second record. I called up Nick and I was like, "Yo, I've got all these ideas for a song, and we've got to get together and write this. Like, it has to happen." And um, so there's a, there's a lot of there's songs on this record that are are you know about going through cancer with Stu, and um, and then there's still there's songs on this record about the passing of my friend Steve that happened back in 2002, and then there's a lot of songs that I needed to write as far as like you know, relationships go. And, uh, so songs are relationship based. And I, you know, I I think people will relate to these, you know, people relate to songs because people have gone through these things, you know, and and I'm psyched about that, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a task for me to, to, to write lyrics. And then the band will ask every now and then, you know, what's the song about? And I'm always like, Oh God, here's, here's the lyrics. I hope you don't veto it or like, you know, think they're cheesy or they suck or whatever. Has that ever happened? No, there, there, 
is a song on the record or maybe two songs on the record actually that that the band as a whole kind of thought that i could go not in a different direction but you know like hey maybe use this phrase like this if you sang it with these words the phrasing would sound better uh but nothing just got straight up vetoed like this subject matter sucks get it out of here or whatever you know that's good um yeah they they were all usually they're very psyched with the lyrics because then because they know the melodies that i'm singing but they don't know what the words are and then usually once they get the lyrics they're like oh this is you know i already liked what you were singing but i didn't know the words and now i like it even more so i'm lucky in the sense that they that were on the same level as far as you know my writing style lyrically but yeah, there, there was, a, and then there's another couple of songs on this that the band kind of members came to me and said, you know, hey, this is the subject that I would love for you to tackle if you think you could do this. And so I kind of used it as a writing exercise to be like, all right, I got to get in the headspace of something that I'm not very familiar with. Um, w- one song on it is kind of about having children and being a parent and how that changes your life and they become more than anything else in the world. You know, you love that more than anything else in the world. You, you never thought you'd be, you know, love something so much, but I don't, I don't have any kids. So I, you know, I can't, I can't write lyrics. I'm not relate. I can't relate to that. You know, and I said to, to Nick, the, uh, you know, I said, well, why don't you write the lyrics? Like this, this would be awesome. You know, like I'm not against somebody else in the band writing lyrics, you know, and, and he just wasn't comfortable writing lyrics for a song he probably had the same fear as me you know thought it was going to be cheesy or something so i had to take it on as an exercise of what you know i had to put my place i had to put myself in the place of a parent and you know what what would i write to my child or what would i want my child to hear me sing or you know and i kind of brought in like what would my parents think you know, or, or write about being my parents. Um, and I think it ended up being a fun. It was a fun exercise that I think came out well. And Nick, I gave Nick the song with the lyrics sung to it. So he didn't know the lyrics until the song was done in the studio. And I, I gave it to him and, and he cried. And so I was like, yeah, I did success. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the idea of feeding a subject to you and just see like you we'll see what your take is on it. Yeah, it, but it's hard, man. If you have no experience, it's like, oh, hey, write a song about being in the army. Well, I've never been in the army. Like I what the heck? Like, you know? Yeah. Like I can't there's like these artists that will write these songs about, you know, the army and all this kind of stuff and you know, they'll become big sometimes because because of that but they have to put themselves in in those shoes somehow when they write those lyrics and you have to be a good writer like the like songwriters who the song will be like a story about some guy going off to the navy or something or like just something that has nothing to do with the person i mean you you have to be a pretty good writer to do that kind of stuff i think yeah but that can backfire so quickly yeah like 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 the if it's like if you're a mechanic and you're listening to a song about how to put a car back together. Like if you don't know how to put a car back together, the mechanic's going to go, this guy know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> you know, like, the, like it, you know, somebody that's in the actual Marines or something, listening to a guy write a song or listening to vocals, lyrics about a, a guy going off to the army, it could be totally unrelatable. But the ones that do it well. Exactly. I think I pulled it off okay. 
I'm, it sounds like it. I'm, hey, I'm looking forward to hearing the whole album. Yeah, it's it's crazy that it's only two weeks away. I'm very excited for it to come out. I get anxious, you know. Like I'll 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 say I don't care, you know. Like oh, we wrote it for ourselves, and you know who cares who likes it as long as we do or our friends do. But I still get anxious and almost almost get to the point where I just ignore it, you know. I can't I can't watch like the number of streams or the uh, number of hits that the videos get. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll check it maybe every two weeks and be like pleasantly surprised that oh whoa we're like we're over a hundred thousand views like that's crazy to me because i was happy when we got five thousand you know and so i can't drive myself crazy as far as like the success of a video or anything like that goes no i think ultimately if you're happy with it then that's all that matters in the end like my last record not a lot of people heard it but sometimes i listen to it and i'm like we did a great job and you know i'm and i'm like oh well i I wish we could have played a show, but that didn't happen. But, you know, later, like people still discover it uh, through other means. And once in a while, they'll be like, hey, I found this and it's great. And I'll be like, wow, that's awesome. So I'm I'm just happy with that, you know? Yeah. When we when we were writing this record, it was like, let's just do it. At least we'll have it cataloged for ourselves, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about what we have coming up. We've now, folks, as a reminder, Fairhaven. Silent Drive's new record, the first in 17 years, is coming out June 10th on Equal Vision Records. So I think by the time you hear this, it'll be out. So we have to pick that up, right? Absolutely. We have to. And are you going to be playing some gigs? Can we come see you? Yeah, we have, um, we've got a big kind of record release. I, I go to Europe with uh, this band called Stick to Your Guns for the next month, and then I'm back. And that's kind of when shows will start kicking off. So July 23rd in Worcester, Massachusetts is kind of our record release show, even though it's going to be a month after the record came out. But kids will know it by then, hopefully. And, you know, it's, it's, we've upgraded the show twice already. So hopefully it'll just be a killer show. Um, so that's going to be the first opportunity. And yeah, we're working on other things right now. So as the summer goes on, we'll definitely be playing shows. So there'll be plenty of opportunities to see us. Not a lot because a lot of us are adults and we can't really do a ton of stuff. But, you know, when we're going to be out there, make sure you come out and see us for sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Looking forward to it. And uh, Zach, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. You know, I've been I've been listening to you for years and I love your work and it's just great to get to talk to you. Oh, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. There you have it, folks. Zach Jordan. That was an amazing conversation. It was wonderful to talk to him, to hear the story of Bane. I was really curious about how the logistics of that last show came together. And, you know, it was just great story there. And I had no idea that they took so long between records. You know, I was really curious about that because when I was looking at the discography, I was like, wait, there's like 10 years between these two records and I figured they broke up or there was some kind of hiatus or something. Nope. They were touring the whole time. He said they just took a really long time to write records, which I thought was hilarious. I mean, that's, that's a pretty long time for a band that's still together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've seen bands take hiatuses, but they don't tour during their hiatus. <laughs> I know, yeah. They just kept going. It was, mm-hmm. uh, there's just some bands that are built like that. They just tour, tour, tour. 
like I've never been in a band that was like that or stayed together long enough to to, to tour like that, actually. Yeah. And it was pretty funny how he mentioned, you know, like they thought people didn't want a record and then they put out a record and they saw renewed interest and that, you know, they did the music video and that helped. And they had been a band for so long at that point. So like in my mind, I just assume everyone that's doing it is like an expert and they know what they're doing or people Mm -hmm. are telling them what to do and they do it. But they they were still figuring it out as they went along, like pretty late into it. Yeah, I mean, as I'm 46 years old and I'm still figuring out what I'm doing. I'm by no means a professional, so I can understand that that way of thinking. Yeah, and you've been doing it your whole life. Yeah, yeah. I picked up the guitar at 15 and it's been 31 years. <laughs> and here we are. And yeah, you know, Silent Drive, I'm glad they're back too. That's a really good band. And again, very long gap between records. And, you know, Zach mentioned that it was kind of the same thing, but the stars aligned. They're back together. Fairhaven is here, and it's fantastic. Happy that they're back doing it again. Yeah, I mean, I think the first time I heard Silent Drive was on a EA game, uh, Burnout Three Takedown. They had a track on that that game. That's the first time I ever heard Silent Drive. Oh, really? They were on a video game. Yeah, yeah. It was their song Four Sixteen. Wow, I had no idea. This makes me like them even more. But there's a, I mean, that that was a band that could have fit on Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Dave Mira, Pro BMX, all those kind of extreme sports uh, games of the time, they fit perfectly on there. So what do you think? Do you think uh, Casket Lottery and Silent Drive will cross paths and you'll run into Zach once again? Yeah, yeah. It'll just be some random show in Southern California or somewhere. We'll run into him again. (laughs) And then we'll end up doing a string of shows with them and they end up in Kansas City. I don't think Nathan's mom lives in the same place, though, so I don't think he'll be crashing on her floor this time. Ah, well... You know, maybe Nathan can make the pancakes this time. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan's <laughs> living in, uh, uh, he's living in Nashville. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He he left Kansas City a few years ago. So yeah, he's, he's living in Nashville now. Oh, wow. How is that uh, working out with the band and everything? I guess you guys just get together when you can and... Oh, uh, no. Um, we got Jason Trebu who played uh, for Hope's Fall on the Magnetic North record. He's our full-time drummer. And he tours. He's a he's a production and tour manager for Garbage right now. So like he's out with Garbage and Tears for Fears at the moment. So like we hired, uh, not hired, our friend Jeff Gernstebloom from uh, Small Brown Bike flies in every time we have a show and practices with us, and then goes goes and does a string of shows with us. Oh, awesome! Nice. Yeah. Well, let's talk about ourselves some more, Stacy. How are we doing now? People hear from me enough. Let's start with you. Let, what's going on? Lay it on us. Um, well, just being a dad, playing video games that the family's actually out at cross country practice tonight. So I was able to get some quiet time to do this with you. Well, everything's going on in the world, man. Uh, early over the, the, the winter, I guess I, I had a pretty bad cancer scare. So oh, what to, happened? To deal, I'm, I'm clear, but I have to do follow-ups more frequently now, but I had a little bit of a cancer scare this year. So I've been dealing with that. That's about it, man. It's video games, family, and trying to uh, keep recording music with the Casket Lottery. Yeah, and what's going on with the Casket Lottery? You had some shows recently, yes? Yeah, yeah. We did uh, the Beat Kitchen and UFO Factory and Michigan and um, a place in Kalamazoo. We just did some stuff with 84 Tigers, uh, Mike and Ben Reed from Small Brown Bike. So we just got back from that, and uh, we're in the studio right now off and on. We've got about 10 to 12 tracks that we're kind of working through at the moment. Nice. Yeah. So potential new release at some point? 
yeah, we don't know what it's going to be. We're, we're trying to decide if we want to release it, like trickle out singles and kind of gain interest. But we're doing it all on our own at the moment. That's awesome. You got to get out to the East Coast again. We have to meet in person. Stacy, remember when I uh, met you at Furnace Fest, but you yep. didn't know it was me? Yeah, yeah. I never <laughs> saw. I never saw your face, <laughs> and yeah. I couldn't hear anything. I had earplugs in because I was right beside the stage, and you came up and introduced yourself, and I was like, oh, "That guy seems nice." <laughs> yeah. And then you, you sent me a message saying, "Hey, that was me," and I felt yeah. like such a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> I made uh, I made many mistakes at Furnace Fest. I I was so awkward. I would pick the absolute worst times to go over to people, <laughs> or I wouldn't go over to people at all because I was like, "Oh, they don't care." Or I was a bit presumptuous, and I was just like, "Hey, I'm Keith." And like, I was talking to Josh from Hope's Fall all weekend and he didn't, he had no clue it was me. That's so funny. <laughs> and you've, you've done an interview with him, haven't you? <laughs> Multiple times. Yes. Multiple times. Yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't get, I didn't get to see the Hope's Fall guys. That's kind of bummed me out. I really wanted to see them because, uh, Magnetic North is like one of my favorite records of all time. Oh yeah. Was Arbiter. Arbiter is amazing. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I cycle in and out of which Hope's Fall record is my favorite, but I have to say lately it's been either Magnetic North or Arbiter. I kind of like that era, the kind of shoegazy era of Hope's Fall. The, the, the earlier hardcore era stuff, didn't really get into it. But when the, when they started getting a little more shoegazy, deftonesy, I really got way into them. Yeah, excellent band. Excellent yeah. band. and uh, Amazing group. Now, the most important question, Stacy: what games are you playing currently? Oh, goodness. I just finished The Quarry, mm-hmm. which is by Supermassive Games. They did Until Dawn. And they did this uh, anthology trilogy that this happened, like with the man and Medan, and they like they have a trilogy of horror games. Just finished that. Um, stars Dave Arquette and Lance Henriksen. Oh, nice! And, yeah, like all these like B movie style actors, and it was fantastic. I just finished that just right before we started this. Oh, nice! Yeah. How long did it take you to finish the whole thing? Thirteen hours. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a pretty short one. It's kind of a traditional filmic style point and click adventure game oh nice yeah when i play games they tend to be like the big story games and so I'll, and it, i play them slow so it, it'll take me months and months and months to finish them and then when i do i'm really depressed <laughs> i was really depressed after finishing the last of us Two. Oh yeah i well now i played that last year i started it right before my relationship ended and then finished it sometime over the summer when I was having like a really rough time. So uh, unbelievably awesome game. Yeah. But, you know, I was depressed most of the year while I was playing it. But that that's good because I had something to guide me through the depression. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I played through it six times already. Whoa. Like the first time I finished it, I was like, I'm never going to play this game again. I can't do that to myself again. I was so destroyed. Like about halfway through, I was about ready to give up. I didn't think I wanted to comp- even complete the game at the Abbey section, but I did. You know what? I remember texting you about it now that uh, we're having this conversation mm-hmm. because yep. like, well, folks, if you haven't played Last of Us 2, you're going to have to fast forward like a minute because I'm going to give away some major plot points here. <laughs> you know, first of all, Joel died and that was a real bummer, but I'm like, okay, we still have Ellie. I'll play the game. And then it flips and you become Abby and you see their side. And I remember messaging you and being like, I don't know. Um, and I was like, oh, so now I got to do this whole thing. But once I played the entire game, I know a lot of people complained and couldn't handle the change, but I think it was brilliant what they did. Oh, it was, it was. And at, by the end of the game, I kind of disliked Ellie and liked Abby more. Yeah. This one, it's like, there's a total turn and, and 
Naughty Dog did exactly what they wanted to do is get people to change their minds about Ellie and Abby. Exactly. I'm I'm 100% with you on that. I think I want to play Red Dead Redemption 2 again. I I've been like getting sucked in watching clips on YouTube and it's the my favorite I think it's my favorite open world game I've ever played. Now you you weren't a huge fan of that one, right? No, I, I bought it, downloaded it on my PlayStation 4, played 30 minutes of it and never went back to it. Okay. And yeah. everyone I know is like, you need to play it. It's one of the best games ever created, but I just never got myself to play it again. It really is. I you did you ever get off the mountain? No. No, no. Okay. I got I went to the, the Marsden section where you find him I think he's stuck on the mountain. Yeah. And I got to that point and that's as far as I made it. I think I made it back down to the cabin with Marsden and that's as far as I made it. I see. Well, if you ever somehow find the willpower again, get off the mountain and get into the open world part and you'll like it better. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And uh, I have been playing Quake. Do you remember how they relaunched the original Quake and they yeah, added yeah, they relaunched chapters? it with the, the 120 hertz and 60 hertz refresh and all that stuff and slightly updated graphics? Yes, I I am finally playing the new chapters. I finished one Dimension of the Past, I think it's called, and then there's Dimension of the Machine, which is really cool because they put in these environments and stuff that you don't typically see in a Quake game. Like there's some like outside and brighter stuff, which is kind of cool. So I'm finally playing through those and I love it. I played a little Quake multiplayer online and that was really fun. And of course, Warzone, which uh, is like my mainstay. They just released a new resurgence map, Fortune's mm-hmm. Keep, and I played it for the first time yesterday, and I clinched a 1v3 to win the game and ended with 11 kills. So I felt like a supreme champion of the world, <laughs> and I was just unbelievably happy. You were. My, my son's been really into Warzone lately, too, so like that's one of his things. Either Fortnite or Warzone is what he's been playing. Yeah, that they're all the rage. I, I'm like, yep. I'm hopelessly addicted to Warzone. It's like when I play it and I'm getting my butt kicked, I, I just hate it. And I'm like, I have to quit this. I can't get out of this. And when I have nights like last night, I'm like, this is the best thing in the world. I've had those nights too, where I thought I was the best in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not nearly enough, but they no, do no, happen. No, no. Yeah. But otherwise, everything's going great. Podcast is super busy. Yeah, that's what takes up most of my time. I'm starting a new band too, so I'm trying to get that up and running. And uh, you know, otherwise everything's great. I really how many members you got? Three. Three? Uh, me on vocals and guitar, drummer and bassist. Do you have a name? N- oh no, in fact <laughs> Is it working in- title? In fact, uh, I was just in a big fight with my bandmates on text <laughs> today about naming the band. Band relationships can be uh contentious, as you know. Yes, yes, it is. It was yes. it was never that hard with with coalesce or breach or any of the bands. But they we just flipped over it, opened a dictionary, dropped a finger, and whatever the word was that we dropped it on is what the band name was. We didn't fight about it. I'm gonna recommend this to my band. You should. The music is sounding good. Awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to us getting to a first show, so that'll be fun. And I'm glad we're getting to the point where we can do shows again. Yeah, I mean, geez, who thought? It feels like centuries ago that that happened but it was only what two years ago two years ago when, when we did the last interview that's what we were talking about if we ever thought it would return to normal and what it would even look like to be normal again yeah like i i remember when i talked to nathan before you you i think casket lottery played an outdoor show somewhere 
Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, the Lemonade Park. Yep. That was like unbelievable to me. Yeah, it was unbelievable to us too. Yeah, because it was just like music was just gone. Shows yep. weren't happening. Yeah, and and then when we played Furnace Fest, like there was this level of excitement and level of anxiety. Like it was immeasurable. Like how ang- anxious I was at that show to be around that many people. Like seeing thousands of people walking around with about you know probably one fifth of them at the most wearing masks still yeah it was just so strange how was that gig for you oh it was great that's i think that's uh that's about the biggest uh audience we've ever played to that's amazing that's awesome yeah and it was a fantastic show i've seen like flyover videos of it and it was just unbelievable how many people were there yeah yeah and that was my first time seeing casket lottery since I don't know, the, the first small brown bike tour. Oh, man, that was uh, two, 99, 2000, something like that. Was our <laughs> yeah, first like right tour. at the start of the band. Yeah, yeah. Those are good times. I, I love touring with those guys. I, I love getting back together with them at 84 Tigers over the weekend a couple of weeks ago. That was fantastic. That's awesome. All right, well, folks, that's it. That is all we have for you this week. But I want to thank Zach Jordan once again for taking the time to come on the show. Stacy, I want to thank you for coming on the show to co-host with me. I mean, this is fantastic getting to co-host this podcast with you. Well, I appreciate you reaching out to me. This is like, I've always wanted to actually do a podcast, not only be on one. So I was glad when you reached out. There you go. Dreams come true every day here on the new scene. And folks, we're back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks everybody for listening. And until next time.